Hey, good morning, Brookside. How are you today? Doing good? The front row is great. That's good. Good to see you guys. Well, hey, um, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors here at Brookside, and I uh, just want to say it is just an honor to be able to worship here together today. As Rob said, if you're newer to Brookside, we would love just to have the opportunity just to meet you, shake your hand, and uh, do that over at our 10-minute party just after uh, this service. It's a great opportunity for us to be able to meet you and, and just say thank you for coming today and tell you a little bit about the church. Well, hey, last weekend was a really, really important weekend uh, for Brookside Church. Uh, we began uh, a new initiative. Uh, we began a new series that's really launching us into a three-year period uh, for our church. And I just want to encourage you, if you missed last weekend, I talked to some people and they said, oh, we missed the, the big weekend, you know, of this big series. And, and I said, it's okay, just go online and watch it. But I, I really want to encourage you to do that because I don't want you to miss out on anything that we're covering in these very important four weeks of our, the life of our church because they really are launching us into the next uh, three years. So please catch up and, and, and watch online. would love for you to be able to not only participate, but just to be able to celebrate um, some of the things that God is, is doing in our midst. Among other things, uh, last weekend, I just wanted to mention this quickly. Last weekend, we got the opportunity, and this was such a blast, to welcome the guys and to launch really our, our first second campus down at the Correctional Center. So at the Correctional Center, we launched our first uh, second campus down at the Douglas County Jail last weekend. And so neat to hear about just how things are going down there. You know, about 30 guys came out um, as, the, the, as the group of leaders was leading them and, and did Bible study and stuff together. And then uh, they did kind of a time of prayer at the very end of that, and a whole lot more guys came out, about 30 more guys came out of their cells for that. And, and so just an, a, such a cool thing for us to be a part of church. And, and I just want to thank you um, for all that you do that allows us to be a part of things like that. So like I said last weekend, uh, we started a four-part series that's really taking us into a three-year initiative. And during this three-year initiative, we're really leaning into two very, very important projects. And um, we've got a theme verse for these, uh, for these three years. And I want to keep bringing this verse really front and center to us as a church. And so it's Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. And what I love about these verses are they really push us to really think about, Lord, what do you want for us as a church? Lord, who do you want us to become? Lord, what do you want to, to really shape the way that we not only think about you, but the way that we pray to you and the way that we ex expect that you'll even answer those prayers? And so it says this in verse 20. I hope these verses are becoming very familiar. It says, now to him who is able... And honestly, that's a very important start because sometimes maybe even you come in here today and you wonder, God, are you able? Maybe you're facing something right now where you just go, I don't know if, Lord, are you absent? Lord, are you with me? God, are you going to show up? God, can you do what I don't even know if it's possible? So notice what these verses say. Now to him who is able, he is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him, not to us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And what I love about these verses are they give us this reminder that God is able, that God is able to do immeasurably more, that God is the kind of God that he's not just kind of halfway involved, but he is immeasurably more able to do things in our lives than we could ever ask or imagine. I love even looking into these words. It means this basically, God can do more than you can mentally measure. Uh, God can do more in your life and in my life, in the life of our church, in the life of our city, which we love as a church. God can do more than we can get our brains around. What a great reality for us to pray. And so we've called this 
this three years ahead of us, immeasurably more for the city, and we are asking God to do just that. God, would you do immeasurably more in our midst? I was thinking of this verse from Isaiah chapter 26, verse 8 this week, and it says this. It says, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Think about that. We wait for you. Lord, would you do immeasurably more? We wait for you. And then it says, these are so important, such important words, your name and your renown. So not, not our name and not our reputation, not our renown, but your name, Lord, and your renown, that is the desire of our hearts. And so as we lean into these next three years, church, what we're saying is, Lord, would you do immeasurably more in our midst? And Lord, we want it to be about your name, and we want it to be about your renown and your great reputation. And so, so excited for where we're heading. Um, do this with me now. Would you turn in your Bibles if you've got one, or maybe you click there on your phone, or we'll have verses on the screens as well. Um, but would you click to uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Uh, this is where we started last weekend, and I wanted to take you back to these verses because not only are these verses very important in the scriptures, but they also really lay the, a very clear foundation of why do Christians do the things that they do? Um, what moves the heart of a Christian? Uh, what moves the heart of a church? Why does a church do the things that it does week in and week out? Why does a church have the goals that it has? These verses are very helpful in that. If you're new to Christianity, these verses really tell you a lot about why we do the things that we do. You know, we said last weekend that every single person, starting clear back in Genesis chapter 3 and then going through the scriptures, we said that every single person needs a second chance. So every single person needs a second chance, not in the, not in the mindset that I need a second chance, and like I need to try harder, I need to work harder, I need to try to please God more uh, in that way so I can kind of earn something with him. No, not that kind of a second chance. But we said, we see this in the scriptures from Genesis 3 on out, everybody needs a new birth, a new life, that kind of a second chance. And what we know is this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there was a time when you lived apart from God, and now there's a time, if you're a Christian, that you live, now live with God in his kingdom. And what we know is this, when you lived apart from God, you had a set of motives, you had a set of desires, you had a set of goals. You had a whole set of things that got you out of bed in the morning, and it really determine the trajectory of your life. But then when you came to know Jesus Christ and now you're living with God, your motives were different. Uh, the things that you aspired to do or to see happen in your life and the things you desire to, to invest in and see God do beyond you, those things dramatically change. But we know that we only get that because Jesus Christ says, I give you a second chance. But then when we get that second chance, and that's what I love about these verses, let me read verse 14 to you. We know this. When you experience life with God, what happened by you receiving the grace of God begins to compel you. It begins to like lead your life. These verses say this, for Christ's love compels us. When the Apostle Paul wrote these words, he wanted his listeners to really think about how the love of Christ would determine not only the condition of their heart, but the actions of their life. He says, for Christ's love, it compels us, it drives us. Us. It gets the Christian out of bed, or at least after the first cup of coffee. It, it provides that motivation. Christ's love compels us. It's why you do what you do. And then he says this, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised again. In other words, when the reality of Christ's love, that he died for all, when that hits you, and when that hits me, 
it doesn't just allow me to go through life purposeless. Instead, when that hits me, when I realize I've been forgiven of a debt I could never pay, when I realize the gospel, it moves me to say, okay, now I want to live not just for myself, but I want my life to live for things well beyond me. Christ's love, it moves us forward. And so in these four weeks, what we're talking a lot about, church, is where we're heading. Is If Christ's love compels us as a group of, of people, where are we going as a church? And that's what I love about these four weeks. But let me just say this. Before we talk too much about where we're going, I want to also just look back really quickly. You might be newer to Brookside. And where we've been, particularly recently, uh, really impacts where we're going in the future. And so let me just recap the last couple of years, last three years for you. Three years ago, we launched into an initiative as a church called For the City. We painted it on the wall. We wanted to be reminded this is what we sense God is calling us to. And so for those three years, we went into that three-year period and we said, Lord, by the end of three years, could we see a tangible difference in, the, in this church that we actually care very tangibly for the needs of our community more than we did in the previous, in the previous time? So would these three years be very impactful for us? What's so fun, church, is now three and a half years later, we look back on these last three years and we just say, Lord, thank you. God, you've done something in us. You have moved in our hearts. We are caring for the city. Building the Care Center Church obviously was a very big part of that. We looked at the 3,000 kids in the foster care system in our city and we said, you know what, Proverbs 31, we can speak up for those who can't speak well for themselves. We can be a voice for them. And so you've clothed now, church, over 1,200 kids, and that's really expanding now into all different areas as well. And so it's, it's phenomenal what God's done in just 18 months of operation through that. We also said this, not only do we want to build this care center, and you all paid cash for that, but we also said, hey, we want to be compelled by the gospel, and so one day we want to be in a position where we could either buy a piece of land or buy a piece of property where we could look at our city very strategically and we could say, hey, we're compelled by the gospel. Are there areas of our city that we could reach with having another location, that the, the gospel could go forward, that Christ's love could compel us into a new area of our city? And so when we got to really the end of that three-year initiative, it was the week we were celebrating the end of those three years. It seemed like there had been no open door for that opportunity. And it was literally three days before Celebration Sunday that we heard about a property for sale, for sale out in Elkhorn. And so we prayed, and we came to you very, I felt like it was very premature, but we said, hey, would you just pray about this opportunity? And church, it's been such a blast to see God open door after door, and for us then to be able, by the end of that calendar year, to be able to close on that property. And by the way, you paid cash, church, for that property as well. And so we thank God for where we are as a church. As we look ahead now, we say, okay, God, would you do immeasurably more in our city? So where are we now? So we have this building. What a gift it is to us, church. Structurally, that's the, the building's in good shape, structurally. But it's built in the 1950s, and we need to renovate it. We need to get the inside ready for services. From what we do in our children's ministry, the next generation is very important to us, but all the way up to what we do with our adults in the auditorium as well. And so renovating that project is a huge part of our, the next three years and a huge part of this initiative. So we'll talk even more about that next week, everything going on in Elkhorn. But the second part, the second project that we're really leaning into over these next three years is so exciting. We're going to be launching a bilingual service. We talked just a little bit about this last weekend. We want to talk more about it this morning. But we're going to be launching this service up in the hub, upstairs, 
uh, right here at our Millard campus. And uh, Mark Thingval, who joined our staff in January, has been doing just a phenomenal job. Mark leads all of our expansion and impact ministries. And he's actually going to join me now because we wanted to spend a little bit more time on this bilingual service this morning so that you just really understand it and really understand kind of where we're going and what that's going to look like. So let's welcome Mark. Thanks, buddy. Buenos días, hermanos. Vamos a estar hablando del servicio en español que vamos a tener ahorita en el otoño. Creo que va a ser una buena oportunidad para los que no conocen al Señor a conocerle por primera vez, tal vez porque no han podido entender lo que hacemos aquí en inglés. I'm not sure what you just said, if you made fun of me or, or what, Mark, but it sounded really good. Yeah. I just couldn't help myself. Yeah. yeah. Hola. Yeah, hola. There we go. All right. That's good. We'll work on you. We'll, we'll work, work on you, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, we'll yeah. Work, on you. work in progress. No, I was telling you, I'm really excited. I'm excited yeah. about this new opportunity, awesome. you know, for our church. There's uh, such a growing population in our city of Spanish speakers, and uh, we want to take advantage of that, yep. uh, that momentum of building in our population yep. and, and do something about it, right? Yep. And so... Uh, really, the plan, as we've talked about and want to share this morning, is that uh, up in the hub, uh, one hour during each Sunday, there's a, uh, a, a blank time, right? Yeah. The, the youth group, use, uh, middle school uses it one hour. And uh, so we have this opportunity to use that space. And we have this opportunity to meet uh, a new need in our city, a growing need in our city. Mm -hmm. So uh, the vision is to have a bilingual service there, which would mean that uh, it's both in Spanish and in English. And yeah. so um, I have the opportunity to reach... Uh, Maybe families, we're different generations of that family. Some are Spanish speaking, some are English speaking. Have an opportunity to invite uh, friends, coworkers that speak Spanish or have that as their heart language. Experience that service together with them and uh, just really have that bilingual feel to it. Um, this will involve part of the initiative, hiring a, a Spanish speaking pastor to come and, and lead that ministry. And uh, then that pastor would sit in the same kind of sermon planning meetings that already happened. Uh, mirror what's going on down here, up there, and follow that same sermon series. So it's one church, just need a couple different languages to cover all the needs, right? Yeah. So um, I just, I think it's going to be a really sweet time as we learn to integrate together and yeah. do that Sunday morning together with a whole new population, Lord willing. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, the population that's growing a lot, yeah. right? Um, yeah. We talked about 5% 20 years ago, 25% yeah. of Omaha is projected to be Hispanic, uh, within 20 years. Yeah. So one of four people. So huge yeah. opportunity. Yeah. You know, even just church looking at the diversity, even around us in this area, you know, several years ago, I was really challenged as a pastor. This guy said, Hey, you, what you should do is you should go to the different stores around your church's campus. And you should take a good look at the diversity in those stores, go to the Walmarts, go to the different stores around the area, look at the diversity, and then ask yourself a very simple question as a pastor. How's the diversity of our church? Does it match the area of our community? Very good logical question to ask. And so I did that. And uh, I got to tell you, there's a lot of diversity around us. It's beautiful, actually. Um, you know, our kids attended uh, an elementary school just up the street from here, Sandoz Elementary, for years. And uh, every time I've told Mark this, every time that we would get that class picture, you know how you get the elementary class picture? And every time I would see that class picture, uh, it was just beautiful, but I would just laugh out loud. I'd say, Christine, I said, can you believe this? We're in Omaha, Nebraska. Look at, look at this class picture. Uh, it had these Sudanese families, beautiful. It had Hispanic families, African-American families, Indian families, and then little bitty white kids sprinkled throughout, you know? And, <laughs> but it was just absolutely beautiful, church, because you know what it represents? It represents the diversity of our city and the way God created, created people, and uh, we celebrate that. If you've been around here for a while, 
you know that one of our dreams as a church is we want to continue to grow in this because we believe that the church should reflect the community around us. And if we can reflect the beauty of what God has brought around us right in this community, we want to be a part of that. That's something that we say, you know what? That's living for the city, and we, we want to be all about that. So, yeah. 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 yeah it's fun. Amen. Yeah, it's, it's an opportunity for us to stretch and grow too, yeah. right? And yeah. with change and, and uh, step up to that challenge by faith and see what yeah. God's going to do. I'm excited to see what he'll do. Yeah. Um, when I stepped out here and started speaking Spanish a little bit ago, um, some of you were like, what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe not understanding, or probably not understanding everything I was saying. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to share uh, an opportunity now to meet a friend of mine, Manuel, who is going to uh, share what that experience is like for him mm-hmm. currently in our Sunday morning services. Mi nombre es Manuel Ovalle, tengo 45 años, tengo una familia de cuatro niños, vivo en Omaha por los últimos 22 años, he estado viniendo a Brookside por los últimos cinco años y estoy contento. I took him to Brookside Church because my wife and my kids start in the beginning and then I saw him I saw them happy at this church so one day I decided to come with them and I like it I like it a lot when I first started attending Brookside what what I was searching was for a home and I had been praying to God and telling God you know I need to find somewhere that's going to feed my kids spiritually when we first attended, we came on a Sunday. I decided to bring the kids. They came and they were in love. And afterwards, every Sunday and every Wednesday, my kids were up and ready to go. And then I started to feel for myself a presence of God, a presence of the Holy Spirit in my life that I hadn't felt since I was young. It was for me a definite sign that God had Brookside in my plans. When I came to church, I was scary. Uh, because I don't know their language, I don't know nobody, but when I get in there, I feel fine, I feel comfortable, and then I like it. I have my Bible, English and Spanish, and I read in Spanish first, and then after that, I read them in English, but I understand more because I read, I have already read it in Spanish. Manuel started to discover that if he had the opportunity to go back and just replay a few times the sermons and re-listen, that that just gave him a lot of clarity and a lot of understanding. And then we have more discussion about what does that mean for you? How do you see that moving in your life? How does that move in our family's life? Or is this going to change some way that we want to speak that into our kids? When all my family come to church together, I don't know, I feel more than emotional. I'm so proud of it because we came as a family to church to to know about God. It's the most important because my kids know about Jesus. When I told my friends I'm attending a Brookside Church, they want to come, but when I say uh, it's only in English, I, I think they feel sad. For the first time in my life, I really know that Brookside's heart is for the people. I feel the Holy Spirit in services at church. And I know 
that there's a lot to be done in the Spanish culture and I have a passion to give God to them. And so I know that God placed my family in Brookside for a reason. If we have a bilingual service, I think it's gonna be the best because I have a, a lot of friends who want to come to the church, but they don't speak English. Their kids, they speak English, and the parents speak Spanish. They can understand everything in Spanish, and the kids can understand everything in English. Brookside has the perfect opportunity to open that accessibility to these people that do speak Spanish. And even though you can share the story of salvation, everybody wants a home to fill where they can come together and congregate. Jesus tells us to go out and spread the good news. He didn't say in what language, he didn't say in what culture. So I feel like Brookside is looking to be a blessing and trust and believe it will be. Man, I'm excited for that. I hope you are too. Um, I love it when Manuel says, I've got so many friends that want to come. And I, I tell him, oh, sorry, but it's in English. Uh, so, oh, maybe they can't come. So uh, let's, let's open that door a little wider, right? Let's, let's get that opportunity ready for them. I'm excited about it. This is something that's kind of been stewing, brewing in the heart of the leadership of Brookside for a number of years, actually. Uh, and I've attended here for, for almost 20 years. I remember several years ago with uh, Pastor Steve, and he said, Mark, now you kind of know, you work with the Hispanic population a little bit, right? And like, how could we start to meet that need at Brookside? And we'd talk, and we'd think about it a little bit. And then as Jeff came on and uh, in his lead role within the last couple years, let's go to lunch and talk about this. I want to figure this out. How can our church really reach this population? So it's been something that God has kind of been pointing us toward for a while. And then uh, when Jeff kind of tapped me on the shoulder in November and said, hey, maybe you should come join our staff and work on this whole outreach thing, and, and maybe the, the Spanish-speaking piece could fit into that too, and God uh, just really made it clear to my family that that was where we were going to head. So we started in January. I started in January full-time here, and uh, that just really accelerated the whole process and the opportunity to say, let's get this thing going, and, and with this new initiative with immeasurably more for the city, to be able to put it as one of the real uh, big pieces of that, right? And uh, so one thing's led to another, and in fact, God's been surprising us even these last few weeks. Uh, I got to thinking about, okay, who's, who's our top candidate to really uh, interview and, and talk about coming to join us in this position as uh, the really the Spanish-speaking pastor to lead this new service and the bilingual service? And uh, <clears throat> God really put on my heart a guy named Juan Santos, who we'd worked with for three or four different summers in Lexington, Nebraska, uh, with family go teams trips, gone and done BBS and outreach in Lexington. Uh, really love working with him there. I've known him for 12 or 13 years with some work I've done in central Nebraska with a pastor's network and really have always uh, admired him. And, and uh, we got to talk in and then uh, more than we could ask or imagine, right? That's what we've been praying. Two weeks ago, Juan said, yeah, I think God's leading us there. I think my family, we're, we're ready to receive the call. And so uh, we uh, are making plans with Juan and his family to come and join us. And uh, I'm just thrilled because it'll be you know, later this year, maybe starting up next year with the actual service time. But uh, Juan is a man of integrity that I've known for many years, and he has such a heart to reach the lost. And uh, so I'm excited to have him join us. Uh, do you want to meet him? Maybe. All right, let's give a Brookside welcome to Juan Santos.
Surprise. <laughs> Buenos dias. Good morning. It is good to be here. Yeah. Yeah, we've been kind of talking about what this, might, this will be looking like uh, several months from now on, but we want to get to know you a little bit. Tell us about yourself, your family, your ministry experience. Yes, uh, my name is Juan Santos. I was born, I was raised in uh, Mexico City, one of the largest uh, cities of the world. And uh, I've, I've spent the last almost 20 years of my life in, in the U.S. I came to prepare myself for ministry at a small Bible institute in South Texas, the Rio Grande Bible Institute. After that, I was uh, called to begin a ministry in Lexington, Nebraska. So, so for the last uh, 13 years, I have been in Lexington, and uh, I'm married. We have four children, and uh, I, I'm just excited to be here and uh, to see how God has been working in our lives and, and now with this new opportunity to come to Omaha. Yeah. yeah. And when I first met you, you were single in Lexington. I was single, yes. You were quite sad and lonely. I remember. Yeah. 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 Here's this guy just came from, from Texas, doesn't know anybody. Yeah. But to see you and, uh, and Maria and God providing her in your life, she is from Lexington. And I think we have a picture of your family we want to show everybody too. But um, yeah, what a beautiful thing for all of you to now be joining us here in, in Omaha soon. Um, I, I like seeing uh, the progression of your church, even as, as we've known each other over the years, it, as it's grown, as you've uh, kind of gotten that skill of just really reaching out and meeting the needs of people in the community. And uh, tell us a little bit about how, uh, why you're excited about doing that in Omaha, what's going on with that. Yes, well, just, just to know how the, the Hispanic population is growing in Omaha, uh, that was kind of an eye-opening for me because I, I didn't know, you know, that the numbers and, and uh, when, we, when you and I started talking about this possibility, I just went online and I started seeing, well, you know, we have a, a big number of Hispanics moving in, in, into Omaha and a lot of them are already here. So I just thought, well, this, this is going to be a, a great opportunity to reach people with the message of the gospel, with the message of salvation, through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And what do you think, of, when you think of reaching those people, what kind of a strategy do you, or what are some keys to, to doing that? Um, in the Hispanic community is uh, relationships. Just spending time together. When you see a need, uh, someone has a need, and, and you're just there by their side, just uh, being available for them, I think that's very important, and that, that creates a, a deep impact in their hearts. And pretty soon they open up and they, they give you an opportunity to uh, present the gospel in, in their hearts and, and they're ready, you know, to listen to the message of, of the gospel. It's hmm, great. Yes, meeting those needs, um, cooking great food cooking and having great that food, available. Yeah, that's, yeah. I should have said that's number one. But. <laughs> um, no, but we're, we're excited to see what God's going to do in this ministry, Juan. And, and uh, I think he's got great plans for, for you, for your family, for this church. And uh, welcome. Uh, I know it'll be a little while till we actually have you here full time, but uh, let's thank Juan for coming and join us today. Thank you. Thank you. Isn't that fun? Oh, so cool. You know, I, church, I just want to say thank you to all of you because um, I just I thank you that you're a church that's not only 
yeah, we want to take new ground as a church, but you like really do, and you embrace things like this, and uh, um, compelled by the gospel for the right reasons, and so um, thank you for being that. Uh, hey, just one really logistical thing um, that I want to mention to you. When you leave here today, you'll be able to grab one of these uh, brochures, and this really just shows you everything that we're going to be leaning into over the course of the next three years, and so really would encourage you to grab one of these, and then also you'll get one of these, the all-important car air freshener, immeasurably more for the city. Um, if your car already smells good, maybe you got a teenager, just throw it in their room, you know, it might, might help out, so. But honestly, it's just a good reminder, would you be praying about this? Would you pray, God, uh, would you do immeasurably more in our city uh, these next three years? So, um, well, hey, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I hope that that really helps us understand why are we doing what we're doing? Um, and that reason, again, I hope this is in your head, that we are compelled by the gospel, right? That, that the gospel moves us, that the gospel motivates us, not just for the next three years, but Lord willing, for decades and decades to come, might we be a church that we are compelled by the gospel. So what I want to do now for the remaining time that we've got left, so let's flip in your Bibles now to first, Second Corinthians, rather, chapter 8, just a couple chapters ahead. And now I want to begin to talk about the how. So we've talked about the why, why we're compelled by the gospel, but now how? How do we live lives that really accomplish things that are well beyond us? What does it look like exactly? Now I want to just, just say this though as a disclaimer. You might be a guest here with us today, and um, the conversation that we're about to have is really, I would call it a kitchen table kind of conversation. You know what I mean by that? When if I come to, the, to your house and uh, think about the level of conversation that you might have with somebody in the foyer of your home, right at the front door, probably not very deep, right? You know, you can greet a salesman at the front door, your stranger, or the whole thing. Not a real deep conversation. Now think of the living room at your house. So the living room is a little bit deeper, right? You got couches, you got a little more time, that whole thing, a little comf more comfortable environment. But think about what happens at the kitchen table. Lots of times at the kitchen table, you have a family meeting. You, you talk about things that are very, very important. I just want to say, if you're a guest here with us, we're having a kitchen table conversation these four weeks. It's a little different around here. But it's, it's different because it's such a unique and such an important time for us as a church. And so if you are a guest, you are welcome to listen in on our kitchen table conversation. Um, and honestly, I'm really glad that you're here for it because you're really going to be able to understand not only why we do what we do, but Lord, what are you calling us to? And, and how, do we, how do we get there? I want to mention this to you. Uh, on May 19th, just uh, two weeks from, from today, uh, we're going to have a big Sunday for us as a church, a very important Sunday. We're calling, calling it Commitment Sunday. And what Commitment Sunday is going to be for us, everybody that walks in will get one of these cards. And this card basically is a way, you open it up and you fill some things out, and it's a way for you to say, okay, above and beyond everything that I give to this church in order for it to do everything that we get to do week in and week out, on that Sunday, May 19th, we're asking you, would you come prayed up and would you come willing to say, you know what, above and beyond all of that for the next three years, I'm going to sacrifice these things so that I can give to this For the City initiative. Because we need to renovate that building. We need to get this Hispanic, this bilingual service off the ground. And, and that's a big challenge for us as a church. And so um, I just want to mention that to you today. We'll talk more about it, but would love for you just to begin to pray. Lord, would you allow me to be a part of the Immeasurably More initiative that we're in? Okay? All right. Hey, let's do this. We've looked at 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Compels us, leads us to say the gospel is our motivator. Now in chapter 8, I want you to think about these two words, and my prayers that you'll get in your car today with just these two words in your mind, and here they are, beyond me. 
What does it mean to live beyond yourself? Oh, what does it mean to be the kind of person that you live beyond you? In other words, that your life has a legacy that far outlives you. I'm so excited to look at chapter 8 with you because we're going to look at a group of people that lived beyond themselves. We're going to see in chapter 8 a a group of, of people that they took the things that God had entrusted to them and they saw that there was opportunity to be a part of something that was well beyond them and they couldn't wait to be a part of it. It's this model. I don't know if you have any mentors in your life. Uh, when you, we get to chapter 8, we get a model of generosity. We get to look at this group of people that they handled what they had so incredibly well that we could say, you know, if you have a mentor maybe in marriage or you have a mentor in uh, your leadership or whatever areas of your life, this Macedonian church that we're going to look at, the Apostle Paul, he gives us this gift saying, hey, they are modeling generosity. We know this in the scriptures. Jesus unapologetically talked so much about the things that we have. He talked unapologetically about our money, and the reason why he did it is it wasn't because he needed anything from us. It's because of everything that Jesus Christ wanted for us, and here's what I mean by that, and you know this to be true as well. Jesus said, hey, where your heart is there, your treasure will be also. In other words, Sometimes the things that are closest to us and what we do with them are a great indication of our heart. And so Jesus unapologetically leaned into this subject so much, not because he cared whether you have a lot or a little. That's not the point. Jesus cares about our heart. And so he wasn't afraid to talk about this. But when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, what we see is this. We see this phenomenal example of, okay, how do I take the things that I have and for those things not to cripple me, And not to cripple the purposes that God has in my life, but how do the things that I have, the the things that God's entrusted to me, how can I be actually liberated to join God in the great work that he's doing? So look at this verse. Look at verse 1. It says this. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In other words, they, they've received something from God. They're by God's grace living in such a way that the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, brothers and sisters, I want you to know about this. Hey, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to miss this incredible example that we have in the scriptures because you've got a, a group of people, Deuteronomy 8.18, that they, they look at their stuff and they realize everything that I have is from God. Deuteronomy 8.18, it is God who gives you the ability to produce. These people got that. Verse 2. Look at what they do. It says, in the midst of a very severe trial, the Greek translation here, it's, it's translated like this, a great testing of affliction. So when you think about this group, know this, these Macedonian churches are experiencing extreme persecution. They're under a whole lot of pressure. But in the midst of that, more pressure than most of us will likely ever experience. But in the midst of that severe trial, it says, their overflowing joy and their ex- in extreme poverty, that's what they're living in, in the midst of that welled up in rich generosity, in the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, what happened? They welled up in rich generosity. Those things don't usually go together. Extreme poverty, great generosity. What? But there was something inside them, and that's the point today. There was something inside them that said, we want to live beyond ourselves, beyond me. Lord, I don't want my life just to impact me. I don't want to be normal. Just, I live for the next thing. I get the next thing. I have this one. I have that one. As soon as I get this, then I want that. No. These people, in the midst of a whole lot of wants and needs, 
it says that they were generous. There was something in their heart that was motivated. They were, chapter 5, think about it, just chapter 5 ago, they were compelled by the gospel. Verse 3, for I testify, Paul says, I give you this as an example, everyone. I'm testifying about them. I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Think about that for a minute. They were able, so they considered it. They planned for it. They probably prayerfully were, were thoughtful about it. They were sacrificial. For I testify they gave as much as they were able, and then even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. And this is so important. No guilt. No gimmicks. No begging. They were compelled by the gospel entirely on their own. Verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, not the duty, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They wanted to be a part of the work of God. They longed to be a part of the work of God. If they could do this much for the kingdom of God, they wanted to do this much. They earnestly pleaded. They so longed to be a part of it. Have you ever begged someone to allow you to be generous to them? Have you ever done that? Probably not. It's a little abnormal. Please, please let me give to you. Oh, really more. Please let me give more, more. Let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten excited to pay your electric bill? Really? I mean, have you ever, like, you paid it? online or you put the, you know, you filled it out and, and then you open your door and you just screamed. You saw your neighbor mowing the lawn back and you're like, I just paid the electric bill. And you're like, woo! Have you ever done that? No. And if you have, we have help for you here at the church. You know, it'd be <laughs> weird, right? But here's the thing. The reason why you've never done that is because it's not that exciting. But these people, they were compelled to live beyond themselves. They looked at the work of the Lord and they said, okay, we can be a part of something that will change the eternity of people. They, let me plead with you. Please let me be a part of it. I want more. I want to be more and more engaged in it. They pleaded for the opportunity. Verse 5, it says, and they exceeded our expectations. So Paul's reflecting on them. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves First of all, to the Lord, and if you, if you only get one thing today, get this. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. So they did not, these Macedonian churches, they did not give themselves, first of all, to a three-year project called immeasurably more for their city. No, they didn't do that. They didn't give themselves, first of all, to build a clothing center for the impoverished kids in their city. No. The first thing that they did was they gave themselves to the Lord. And the reason why that is so important is because if you and I think about generosity, if we think dollars and cents and that's the beginning, we've got it wrong. Their motivation was they first gave themselves to the Lord. So you've got these group of churches that they're devoted to the things of God, and that's what motivated them. You want to know why they pleaded? Why did they say, oh, let it be a part? It's because their devotion to God was right there. That's what their motivation was. That's what was leading them. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Verse 6, so we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Verse 7, but since you, so he's talking now to the Corinthians, okay? But since you, Corinthians, excel in everything, and he's going to kind of give them an inventory. And I, I think if the Apostle Paul was writing you as a church, 
I think he would say, oh, you excel in this, and you excel in this, and you excel in this. Notice what he says. You excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you. But then he says this. He says, hey, I want you to take an inventory, though. And you've done this before personally. You go, I'm good at this. I kind of got to work on that. Oh, man, I'm experiencing God's grace in this. And, and you, you know how to take an inventory. That's what he's doing with them. But he says this at the end. See also, as you take the inventory, that you excel in the grace of giving. Notice he calls it a grace, though. Not the duty of giving. No. The grace of giving. In other words, God, you give me everything, Deuteronomy 8. And so it's my, it's, it's, I'm, if I give, I step into the grace of giving. I step into the mercy of God. I allow God to use me. That's the grace of giving. He says, I am not commanding you. Apostle Paul is not bullying this church. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I want to compare it, he's saying, to the Macedonian churches. I want to know, hey, are you compelled by the gospel, 2 Corinthians 5? Because if you're compelled by the gospel, then there'll be a part of you that says, not I have to, but I long to. How can I be a part of that? How can I be a part of a movement that's reaching more people for Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul knew that if they were compelled by the gospel, that they would think differently, that the rules would change a little bit for them. Their earnestness, it was different. To plead, to be generous, it's abnormal. You know, on Thursday night, one of our kids had a, a music uh, concert for their music class in school, and, and so we went to the middle school for this thing, and, and uh, each grade sang different songs, and Parents were invited, and so this, this little auditorium was packed full of parents and grandparents everywhere. And, and we got there, and, and you know, we're sitting amongst all of these people, and it didn't take long for me to feel like I was a little bit out of place. And I felt like, wow, this is very different from being at the ball game. This is very different being at the, the football game, the baseball game, very different from being at the wrestling match. And I, I, I leaned over, and I should say this first of all to you. I, I am musically challenged as a person. Like, Rob never asks me, ever. It hurts my heart. He never asks me to sing on a Sunday morning, ever. You should give him a hard time. Um, but I am so musically challenged that in the eighth grade, my teacher approached me, and she said, hey, I think you should consider stepping down from being a part of the band at semester. I think you should kind of retire early, you know? I mean, it's no wonder I need counseling. You know, I mean, think about how... That bruised me, you know? So I am musically challenged. So anyway, we're sitting at this concert, and it's very quiet. It's very formal. And, and, and I just leaned over to Christina very early on, in it, and I said, I said, well, I really feel out of place here. I feel like a caged animal here. Because you've got a seventh grade boy up there trying to sing a solo. Think about that. What's happening to the voice? It's cracking right there. And I just wanted to clap and say, good effort. Way to go. But I felt, I felt like that wasn't right, you know? And so I then found out that I wasn't alone because I grabbed the program and I turned it over and I noticed that on the back of the program it had this whole long section called Concert Etiquette. And I was like, oh, this is why I feel out of place. And so I read this paragraph and what they were trying to do is they were trying to get ahead of people like me so that they would behave in the concert. And so I'm reading it and it's, you know, it's things like no shouting, no clapping out of turn, no face paint, no signs, no, all this kinds of stuff, right? You just sit there and you, you be good and you, you, know, you do that, right? But you know what it was to me? It was like not bad, 
but it was just different. The Macedonian church, everybody, they're looking at giving differently. They're seeing generosity so differently, but they're seeing it in the same way that Jesus Christ said to see it. Jesus said it this way. He said, hey, it might be more normal for you to think when I receive, that's the best, but Jesus said, hey, no, 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 no. It is actually better for you to give than it is for you to receive. It is better for you to live beyond you than it is to live for you. It's better for you. And again, Jesus doesn't need anything from us. He only wants things for us. But it's better for you to live beyond you than it is to simply say, hey, I want to just live for me, my kingdom. I want to build my kingdom. But no, Jesus says, it would be so much better for you. You would experience so much more joy. You would be such a part of so much things that would outlive you if you said, I want to live for God's kingdom, things that will well outlive me. And not only does that call us to be compelled by something as true as the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we also know this, it leads to entirely different outcomes. When you're compelled by the gospel, you're a part of things that truly leave a legacy well beyond your years, well beyond your years. This Macedonian church, they got that. And it wasn't so much that they were motivated simply by, oh, I think it would be nice to be generous. No, they looked at the generosity of Jesus Christ towards them, and it motivated them. 